0: Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the documentary film genre, specifically focusing on the 1970 documentary, Give Me Shelter. As we bring in Dr. Wyatt Phillips from the Film Studies Department here at the Texas Tech University to help provide us with a lot more insight on the history of the genre along with the various styles of documentary filmmaking. So let's get this one going. Hey guys what's up this is uh let's get real Podcast. um today it's only going to be me and bryce uh bailey and Joan are actually out on a baseball game and hopefully they're not getting rained out today but today we have dr Phillips with us he is a professor here at tech and he does uh sorry professor phillips
1: can you remind me of that again <laughs> sure i, 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 I teach don't... uh no it's all good uh film and media studies in the english department
0: perfect perfect so awesome He'll be here talking with us about the history of uh, documentary films, and uh, we'll actually go ahead and get started with that. So, uh, the word "documentary" was derived from the French word "documentaire." I'm going to try to
2: documentaire. Documentaire. Yeah. Yeah.
0: By the Scottish educator uh, by the name of John Grierson, documentaries have been present as early as the 1900s. Um, in fact, the Lumiere brothers' first ever attempt at filmmaking. Raw documentary style films. The first official documentary was a narrative by Robert Flattery titled Nanook of the North. This was an ethnographic look into the life of Inuit Eskimos living in the Arctic. This gave Robert Flattery the title of father of the documentary films.
1: And interesting. Yeah, no, notes.
0: Oh, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, let me jump in. No, it's great because mm-hmm. um. so the Lumiere brothers, uh, their, their father, uh, owned and ran a photographic factory, like so picture, photo, camera uh, in the the late 19th century in France. So their framework was all the kinds of things that you would take pictures of with a regular camera. So their very first films were these very sort of home movie style, what we would call now home movies, right? Which are documents, Mm -hmm. clear documentaries of our own experience. And so it's totally framed through that. And then, uh, um, but the other early films too, they called them actualities because it was actual life rather than fictional narrative stuff. His frame of reference isn't cameras, photo cameras, picture cameras. It's um, the the New York City stage. So all of his early documentary style actualities Mm -hmm. were documenting things that were taking place on on that New York City, Um, on the New York City stage. Yeah, in one of my Um, so you know there's this real history of the way that that things that existed in other media get transposed to to cinema early on depending on what the filmmaker was familiar with Um, Mm -hmm. even even early films um, get called in some cases virtual newspapers. Because there were these traveling showmen that had worked with basically slide projectors for years, Mm -hmm. uh, stereo opticons, and now they could have films integrated into these little history lessons or or into these current event stories, you know, what's going on in the world, which was interesting to people in small towns across the country who didn't have access to even big city newspapers, much less any kind of video. So, um, you know, and, and ethnography was just one of those other things, depending on what the the person who wanted to make the film was interested in
2: kind of showing people what they're missing out on.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you can imagine that people were interested in the photos from these places, but now you're bringing back video, like film, and you go to the movie theater to watch it and you're like, wow. But he's using the structure of narrative cinema. 90 minutes is Mm -hmm. what becomes normalized uh, in the, in the late teens, mostly because that's what also is normalized on the, on the, on the stage. That's about Mm -hmm. an evening's worth of entertainment. Um, and so he uses that format, and so Mm -hmm. a film like Nanook of the North is interesting because he's he's recreating, right? The way we think about reality television staging sequences, he's Mm -hmm. doing that in the late teens, early 20s with his character, and he's telling a history of the Inuits that's actually largely passed by that point. They've been exposed Mm -hmm. to Western people for, you know, decades, and he has this character recreate what he remembers, you know, the seal hunt and things like that. Mostly they just traded with you know, the, the, uh, the Anglo folk by that point, but he's he's recreating this experience because that's a more potent story mm-hmm. for the audiences. So, you know, Grierson comes in, he's a, he's a British, Scottish, but British filmmaker during the depression. Um, and, and he's working more or less for the British government making these documentaries uh, that then become propaganda, yeah. right? So, you know, looking at America, the plow that broke the plains um, funded by Roosevelt, the president at the time, um, so that he could or the government could justify to the people why we need to build these dams. Why do we need to use all of this economic uh, power of, of America to build dams on these rivers? Well, that's what the, pow- the plow that broke the plains is largely arguing for. So, so in the Depression, all the, these these documentaries, which are which are full of particular arguments and perspectives, are all sort of there to just lift up whether it's Britain or the US or whatever. And and, and so there's not really, um, they're they're propaganda, but they're not the kind of thing that we think about, at least at that point in terms of propaganda, which is trying to um, deceive somebody into thinking something that's not true or that's false or that's slight, whatever. Um, And so though, as you get the beginnings of World War II, which is of course, what ends the Great Depression, you start to see films like uh, Triumph of the Will, Uh, and Olympia, which are films that Lenny Riefenstahl makes for Germany, for the German government that are really just Nazi propaganda. Um, And that was their intent. And it's also what you, the result. So, um, and of course, though, from their, from the perspective of the Nazi government, right, that's a good thing. Just like if you come across the pond to the U S during world war II and you look at the why we fight series, um, Mm. It's very sort of uplift the country, uplift uh, the morale of the people, rein, re, uh, reinforce the, the reasons why we're doing something for the, for the sake of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they become, for a period, pretty resistant to the style of documentary, right? Yeah. So you still have news reportage, uh, mm-hmm. you still have um, the, the sort of uh, news shows at the movie theater, before you have uh, television that becomes the sort of site of the nightly news or weekly news or whatever. But people become suspicious of that kind of documentary form. And a lot of people I think today are familiar with documentaries through the History Channel because you it's yeah. always there in every cable package and you always have to flip past
0: it. Kind of educational, but entertainment in a sense, but like not really, not yeah. really educational in a sense but uh yeah and that kind of again like that leads into the next topic of 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 our of our podcasting which is uh just discussing more on the gimme shelter and kind of Mm -hmm. our our thoughts on it um so again watching this we're like we said we grew up with that generation knowing documentary as as a interview and uh what is it what was it that you said kind of provoking an action or something like you want to get your point across and watching this purely as a fly on the wall I, i felt the like Bryce kind of said it pretty well. It was like just being in the moment with it and, and um, just kind of feeling the tension as it went along. And like when it finally happened, like, oh, my God, like I was watching it. My wife was watching with me and she said, oh, my God, did that guy just get stabbed? And I was like, yeah, like this thats yeah. all about. And like it was just crazy. Um, what, what was your thoughts on it, Bryce, as you were watching this?
2: All, the whole time I was watching it I all these people like there to watch them and they're all tripping out on drugs and going yeah. crazy I'm like wow the 70s were nuts <laughs> I've heard stories but now I'm here and this is what it's like um it Lots was just lo- yeah it was it was just it was just a lot yeah people like once somali LSD hash yeah. and I'm like okay this is and you feel like you're there because you're like eye level and looking around um but it was definitely a fr- like a fresh change because I'm used to like interview one-on-one type of documentaries. And this one was just, you were just there the whole time watching everything happen as it's going.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, um, a different experience to be that kind of like just dropped in again, that fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, you know, like I said, so if, when this film came out in 1970, it was shot in December of 69. So that's, and, and so audiences would have known about Altamont Speedway. It would have been in the news, right? Imagine it, you know, mm-hmm. being about something that happened. Um,
0: like COVID, know,
1: yeah, COVID. Yeah, COVID, right? Yeah. You, you're very familiar, but this mm-hmm. is a privileged vantage point in a way that you didn't get these kind of privileged vantage points. Um, you know, there was everybody didn't have a camera in their, a, a film camera in their pocket, right? It was yeah. completely different. Um, But today, you don't necessarily, so over the course of from 70 to 2020, I mean, we're talking about 50 years, um, people aren't familiar with Altamont Speedway. So that name doesn't ring a bell necessarily. So you're not hyper aware from the beginning that this is a tragedy unfolding in front of you. But like you said, you can feel the tension in the space, both through the filmmaking and just for the fact that following the stones around for some number of weeks has got to be crazy in 1969. Yeah. You know, Altamont Speedway is this this tragic end to 1969, to the 1960s, which had been this sort of increased idealism of the baby boom generation. Even though you've got all these horrific things, assassinations, um, um, the Vietnam War going on around you, there's a certain idealized view that things are getting better coming out of civil rights and moving into sort of youth power and woodstock in august of 69 is this moment of like celebration of these ideas and these ideals through music but also through the yep. experience and they say and, and give me shelter at one point like let's make this is going to be the best experience yep. of 1969 the, yep. the implicit like contrast there is mm-hmm. or, or comparison is to woodstock yeah. um well, but even of course, like,
0: is- going off of that like what i like about well, like uh because there's that one part where Je- mc jaggers like uh Guys, guys, we're supposed to not be doing this. Yeah, stuff. it's like,
2: well, let's not fight. Let's like the chaos is
0: disrupting. He's like, We're supposed to have peace. And like they're all like, yo, peace. And yeah. Another one I thought was
2: interesting is the um there was actually like people for the Black Panthers there, like talking yeah. about that. And I was like, okay, wow, this really sets like this is this isn't a recreation. This is it. This is actually you're watching this live. Um yeah, it's like,
1: sort of like, you're, Drugged oh, out white girl yeah, yeah. that's those flyers yeah to free the well, Black
0: like just seeing that was kind of like what what jodo or Bryce was saying I'm sorry but um how like it was just so I'm not so real but like just seeing these people like really like they were yeah. gone they were gone and like they were in the groove of the concert and like even the dude I think right? who got stabbed like he seemed like he was in the groove of things and like his groove was just cut and that's when the tragedy happened earlier yeah yeah because he was
1: yeah right before they right before this i mean they've been setting it up for a while you've been on that stage with them right for like 10 minutes in film time much less in real time but it seems like the way they cut it that there's as much time spent talking to the crowd about settling down as there is actually performing and you get this really weird tension with with mick jagger keep going like everybody sit down settle down and then going right back into jumping jack flash which is like super high energy so Mm -hmm. there's this this weird kind of like force fit that they're trying to do, have it both ways in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. But right before they cut to the, 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 you know, the stabbing, you've got that guy over on the right side of the stage just out of his mind. And they stay on him for like a minute and a half, uh-huh. really long, um, mm-hmm. so that you get a sense of where everybody is. And of course, they've already been slowly building up the point that you have the Hell's Angels mm-hmm. acting as the like physical blockade from the crowd and if you've ever been to a concert before covid right these big like you know um, arena concerts they always have this like 10 yards of yeah. blo- uh, blocked off space between the crowd and the, the performers mm. and this is why I mean yeah. because they have a they, they they couldn't hire the police to do it they wouldn't do it so they hired or it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. So they hired the hell's angels and the guy on the phone at the beginning is like, we were just told we could sit at the edge of the stage yeah. and drink beer and listen all day. Right. With this idea that all of these peace loving hippies we're not um, would, would respect that distance, right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that they're going to allow a couple of big burly men to block them from getting access to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones. And of course, that might be fine if everybody's perfectly sober and, and in the right mind. But as soon as and it's not even then. You see some you see mm-hmm. some people early on who are like trying to get access and getting thrown off the stage beforehand, yeah. and they may be in their right mind as far as drugs go, but they're not in their right mind as far as like star fixation. Yeah. And you we you even like with drugs and, oh my god, and then it's just I mean it's this cocktail that's going to explode. Yeah. But the fact that they capture the stabbing. Right. And that scene where they roll back the footage and you've got the gun against the crochet. When I first watched this movie, it was on this really crappy television. It was about the size of my 13 inch monitor. here. That I'm looking at you guys on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't really see it. <laughs> <We could.
2: laughs> I was like, what is that?
1: <laughs> it was on a VHS tape on a crappy television. We couldn't really, yeah. we had to kind of trust that uh, uh, David Mazel's voiceover was accurate. Yeah. Um, and obviously it is. Well,
0: just we usually do this this is what we uh, always do with uh, the let's get real podcast and we're going to give a rating to this documentary um i like i said watching this i'm just fully captivated the whole time from start to finish so i'm definitely giving this a 10 out of 10 uh, i loved it um i'm probably gonna rewatch it just because like you said there's a lot of things that you can you can miss and and want to just catch again so uh bryce what, what was your rec- uh, rating for this documentary
2: I think I'm gonna definitely give it like a 9.8 9.8? I think it's I think it's definitely stole the my favorite documentary just because I like uh I've, I haven't seen this style before so it was like kind of life-changing <laughs> I was like wow this is really cool I want to watch more like this yeah. so I'm gonna give it 9.8 it could be a 10 I haven't seen any others like it but I'm gonna go and watch these other ones and then maybe come back with another review but 9.8 for right now
1: great I uh I've seen this so I've seen this a number of times. I've seen it on the big screen. I played at the Alamo here once uh, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, you know, to end on a high note, I'll, I'll borrow a line from a mockumentary, and a spinal tap, and I'll say my, my rating goes to 11. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I agree. With nice.
0: You. So that'll do it for us here on the Let's Get Real podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash LGRpod or on Twitter at RealNationTalk. Or visit us on our website at www.letsgetreal.net. For Bryce Beavers, Jody Young, and Bailey C., I'm Josh Silva Sing So long and see you next time here on the Let's Get Real podcast.